Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are going to continue our discussion of the opening verse of 1 Timothy and hopefully get into verse 2 as well. We identified the author as Paul and we had a fairly lengthy discussion on what it is to call himself an apostle, definite article, talking about the office of apostle. And we went into a little discussion that is good to have from time to time and talking about the characteristics of the apostolic office, which uh, make it such that no one today can hold that office. One in particular that I uh, was thinking about as we already wrapped that episode up, but are continuing on into this one, uh, was the whole idea that the gift of the apostle to the church was for the whole church, not just the local church, right? Their office is not restricted to a local church, neither does it extend over a short period of time. It's for the whole church and for life. And what I thought about with that, what I was thinking about as we said that, was just anecdotally, you know, from my personal experience and observation, I have met people who identify themselves as apostles, which is odd to me. And what's odd is that that apostolic gifting is not for the church universal. In, in other words, I'm a believer. They knew I was a believer and I go to another church and those apostles uh, so-called, I should say, put those in heavy quotations. Uh, they don't. They never came to our churches, and even when we would have discussions, and I would identify as a Christian, uh, they never had, you know, anything to say to me because their usefulness and their impact was limited to their local congregation, where they were held in high esteem. Maybe it went denominational because in some groups that that have that and recognize apostles, which it's a false recognition. It's not academically honest. It's not intellectually honest, according to the Bible, uh, with regard to proper qualifications. But it might extend to the denomination, but it's within each church. And then they might, you know, have a little circuit and they one church shares their apostle with another church and so forth, but it's not the universal church. So uh, it's just something to think about because if you run into somebody who identifies that way, you know, it's worth having a, the discussion if you can and be civilized about it to talk about these qualifications. All right. But we want to go on now. So we've talked about Paul. We've talked about uh, the fact that he holds the apostolic office here. And one thing that we want to say is this, that he is an apostle, of course, apostolic office of Christ Jesus. We didn't even get to that, uh, that term. And it makes sense to us, but it's the fact that it's attached to the apostolic office, an apostle of Christ Jesus, uh, the clar- it brings clarification and that really helps uh, and is appreciated, especially in Timothy's day. Since the word apostolos and the verb apostello, those were so common, 
Paul's being sent from Jesus Christ, the founder and cornerstone of the church, uh, that is a very helpful clarification in that day and age. Now, 2,000 years later, it's interesting to see that we don't use the word apostle. We may actually use the definition of the word, right? Uh, we, we And we talked about that a little bit. Of course, somebody's not going to identify that way. You know, we talked about the kid being sent to the grocery store or the market. Uh, hey, who are you? I am so-and-so sent by my mother to go do this. Uh, but we do use the verb send. Hey, I'm sending you down to the... Uh, you know, I'm sending you down to the pharmacy to pick up my prescription, or I'm sending you to the dry cleaners and and so forth. Okay. We may use the word send and you have to understand that apostello or apostolos was the common vernacular. That would be akin to you and I saying send, or I'm sending you to go run this errand. And so to have that qualification you know, if I'm sending you out and I say, hey, I'm sending you not to the pharmacy, but I'm sending you uh, the next block over to go and talk to your neighbor about the gospel, I'm sending you out on the authority of Jesus Christ. Okay, now that makes a little bit more sense. But here we are 2,000 years later, and we've kind of commandeered this term, and uh, we've brought it over from another language, which we do a lot. English is very famous for doing that. And uh, now in English anyway, the term apostle really to the modern speaker only conjures up Christianity <laughs> and, and, and other religions possibly. We might say that there's an apostle, but we, we have the background of that that informs that. Even if we don't use it with regard to religious term, we say, hey, this is an apostle of, that means like a student or a follower of so-and-so, but the context to to inform our understanding of that word is Christianity. So now 2000 years later, this word connotes, has the connotation of being a Christian word. So my, how, you know, things have changed. So it's very helpful to have that clarification. He's not just an apostle in general, and that helps bolster the argument that we started in the previous episode, that he's holding the apostolic office. All right. So he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now let's go on and finish out verse one by command of God, our savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. All right. So as we continue on then, uh, here's J.N.D. Kelly again, uh, his comments on this phrase, his present language is stronger, uh, commission here, or this command by command of God connotes an order and is often used of royal commands, which must be obeyed. It vividly conveys Paul's consciousness that so far from being only a privilege, apostleship involves responsibility. The apostle is a man under orders from God. So that's what Kelly has to say on that. Uh, so now as we think about that, God had called Paul from his mother's womb and had set him apart for this task. Think about what Paul says in his letter to the church at Galatia, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace... So Paul comes to theological understanding later on, even though he was a persecutor of the church, go back to Acts chapter eight, 
And he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was not saved. He recognizes that as he comes to this point now and God gives him this instruction, and I mean, he sits at the feet of Jesus, he says, you know, trained in the desert for three years of the per, you know, personal seminary, and he's under direction of the Holy Spirit. So he has a great theological understanding of salvation that he didn't contribute to that. Also of election, he's going to write to other churches about those things. So God is the one who brings all this about, which means not only is he not responsible for his own salvation, but it was predestined. We're talking about predestination. And it all came about in God's perfect timing. But also what he's saying here is that he uh, becoming an apostle later on, the place where he is as he is writing this letter was foreseen by God, planned by God when he was still in the womb. And that's, that's an incredible thing. Okay. So God had called Paul to this office brought him to salvation. You can't, you can't ascend to the office without being saved first. So he, he opens his eyes, brings him to salvation. And then at some point along the way in his training, he receives this commission by God. And now he can do no other thing, but do this because he has received a Royal command to go back to Kelly's comments there. All right. So Paul's task was huge and carrying out the responsibilities of this apostolic office and commission would consume the rest of his life. Fast forward near the end of the book of Acts, and we find this in Acts 26, verses 16 to 18. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul's journey now is going to take a different, uh, a different path after salvation, obviously, and it's going to consume him on these missionary journeys, church planting, training disciples like Timothy, and it's going to last for the rest of his life. Okay. So he's commanded by God. And let's look at this. So this command comes from, it's a divine command comes from heaven, but how is it identified here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Two ways, God, our savior, Christ, Jesus, our hope. Let's look at God, our savior then. And, uh, and then we'll go to Jesus Christ, our hope. So God, our savior, uh, one commentator said this, the fact that here in the pastorals, the name Savior is frequently applied to God is, after all, not at all surprising. For even in his earlier epistles, Paul frequently ascribes the work of saving man to God. For example, it was God's good pleasure through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe, 1 Corinthians one twenty one, or, but God made us alive together with Christ. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, Ephesians 2, verse 4, and verse 5, and verse 8. Your salvation and that from God, Philippians 1, 28. So to speak of God as Savior, 
Uh, and again, we could kind of go off on a trail here with theology proper, and we could talk about that. But you know, recognize the triunity here. Uh, sometimes, uh, when we speak of certain actions, we attribute them to one person of the Godhead, and there are certain instances where that is true. Uh, God the Father did not die on the cross, and neither did God the Holy Spirit. Only God the Son, right? When we're speaking in triunity language or Trinitarian language, uh, we need to be very careful when we parse those phrases, right? So if we're praying, you know, it's inappropriate. Are you sinning? No, but is it is it inappropriate to, to start off saying our Heavenly Father and then immediately follow that by thank you for dying for us on the cross? Well, I would say it's inappropriate because our Heavenly Father did not die for us on the cross. It was Christ Jesus who died on the cross. Those are important distinctions to make. But in other things that belong to God, all three of the, of the persons of the triunity participate. And in fact, when we are forming our Trinitarian confession so that we have a biblical confession of who God is in the scriptures, one of the things that that we do is we say, okay, how, how do we know that God is three persons and one? Well, the scriptures say there's only one God, but then we find these three distinct persons. Well, how do we know they're God? What do you expect to find? Well, we would expect that we would find a statement of eternality, that they have no beginning, they have no end. We expect, uh, we expect incommunicable attributes, the non-communicable attributes of God uh, to be present in all three persons. And we expect certain works and certain actions that only God can do that we can't do. Uh, among them would be like creation. Did Jesus Christ participate, the second person of the Godhead, uh, in creation? Yes, through whom everything was made. And by him, uh, apart from him, nothing was made that was made, right? Go back and read John chapter 1. Hebrews talks about Jesus, holds all things together by the word of his power. He is the sustainer of all creation. But the Holy Spirit was present in creation too. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, so forth. Okay, where are we going with that? Well, when it comes to salvation, we typically think of, and I'm not saying that this is wrong, but our mind goes to the cross where it should, okay? And we think of Jesus as the one who had paid the penalty for sin, which he did. But who is saving us? Well, that that answer is yes, it's God. God in general, all three persons. Does the Holy Spirit save us? Yes. Does God the Father save us? Yes. Does God the Son save us? Yes. Okay. And, and that's the point. So when we talk about of God, our savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope, are we saying Christ Jesus didn't save us? No. Uh, he didn't mention the Holy spirit. Okay. He's not trying to give us exhaustive things here, but we have to understand these phrases this way. So when we speak of God, God in general, the, the one God, the one triune God who created all things, he did save us. He is the savior. Okay. And so when he addresses him that way, it's, it's, it's a good discussion. It gets our mind going theologically. Then he switches over here to Christ and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Hope implies future. I don't know if you've thought about that, but the word hope is a futuristic looking or a future looking word, maybe not a futuristic word. Okay. But a future looking word. 
because to hope in something is to set your mind past your present circumstances and you're looking to a time when the object of that hope is realized. Okay, so Christ Jesus, our hope, has a forward look. What did Paul say to the church at Rome? Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The gospel is forward-looking. The difficulties which we meet in ministry, uh, Timothy being placed in Ephesus in tough conditions, Paul in prison, sudden storms that come upon us in the ministry, like Matthew chapter 14, 22 to 33, where the disciples were obeying the command of Jesus to go out into a boat at night and were taken by a sudden windstorm that whipped up incredible waves off the Golan Heights on the Sea of Galilee. You know, all those things are put into perspective when we consider the future promises. Therefore, right at the beginning of this letter, by the way Paul addresses God and Christ and Christ here, Christ Jesus, our hope, the way he is encouraging Timothy right off the get-go is is really brought forward uh, to point to Christ as our hope because it is pointing to the future. It's pointing to circumstances beyond the things that Timothy is facing. One of the things we're going to encounter in this letter over and over again is false teaching. That's got to be really discouraging. I now know after several years in ministry that people who come in and peddle false doctrine you know, we try and we try and have a filter for that. You know, we're not going to allow them to teach and stuff, but we have had people come and visit the church and maybe repeat over time. And you get to talk to them afterwards and they have a false uh, notion of scripture. And, you know, how do you abide false teaching? Well, you don't, and you don't want to tolerate it, but you want to show kindness and you want to have an opportunity for the gospel, but it wears on you. And, you know, we need that hope for the future that, you know, we stand strong, stand firm, don't get whittled down, don't get dismayed or dissuaded by, uh, you know, or persuaded, I should say, by false doctrine, hold to the course. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our hope. The future is all predicated on the things that he has done and the things that he has said about the future. And so because we we have that promise of the future, that gives us hope. That's a wonderful, wonderful way to look at that, right? So he's encouraging Timothy right here in these this opening verse uh, from the beginning of the letter to look beyond his present circumstances to the future, which is that eternal weight of glory, uh, to borrow from Paul's other writing, 2 Corinthians 4.17. All right. Well, that's all we have time for today. Uh, We didn't go as long as we did yesterday. We finally finished verse one. We'll get to verse two in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.